friends, welcome to episode 184 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? You know, I'm sitting here alone in my basement, and you're at your house. Yeah, unfortunately we had to be remote for this one. Uh, both you and Vicky are feeling a little bit under the weather. Yeah. Sean's feeling a little under the weather. I think I'm the only one who's doing okay. Yeah, it, it it's not great to have this deep of a voice, but it does let me do a little bit of voice acting <laughs> earlier today i was like i was like just just say just say one thing for me say say built ford tough <laughs> built ford tough <laughs> and i was like yes that's the stuff <laughs> but um why don't you talk a little bit about your uh your game from this past weekend yeah yeah absolutely uh i think um i was a little bit worried going into it i think i talked about that uh last uh last podcast um because i had it was very it's going to be very player driven and uh, in my anxieties, I uh, forgot that I have some of the best players that I could ever possibly ask for. Oh, shucks. Dropped a little lore nugget on the table and said, okay, discuss. And you guys did for like an hour and a half. And it was some really good role play, some really good story development. Um, characters had really good insights about the implication of that plot uh, being introduced and explored it on their own. Um so I successfully walked into my game with like three sentences worth of notes and uh, uh, walked out with uh, a game session where the the feedback, the wishes and stars I got at the end were I wouldn't change a damn thing. It was perfect. Yeah, I mean, it, um, in all honesty, I felt that uh, overall it was incredible. Um, I think mm-hmm. you moved through it in amazing ways. Uh, but yeah, I, from a storyteller's perspective, I would definitely say that you did get really good feedback at the end. Yeah, yeah. There was there was definitely some discussion um, about uh, how I run social encounters. Well, I think it's and... telling of most social encounters that we have in, in, in any system and how hard it is because of where we came from our, our learning perspective. Yeah, and, and I the, the, the problem I think I'm running into is that, um, you know, we've got a social character in the game, but that social character is also someone who uh, tends to be pretty whimsical and tries to find angles on situations. Um, and I mean, but bless them for it. Uh, you know, Sean is, Sean is a very, you know, intuitive player, um, always looking for a fun and interesting way to engage with the content that I put before him. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what it does do is it frequently puts me in a position when dealing with him and his character that I have to make stuff up on the fly. And then when I don't handle that with a, uh, a well-crafted pre-planned encounter because I did have to make up an NPC on the fly and figure out what information they do and don't have, et cetera, et cetera, and all make it look seamless. Um, it's not as good or as clean of, uh, of an, as an experience as say like a crafted combat encounter would be, you know? Right. But I, I think that's, I think that's telling of, of, like I said, from coming from D and D or any tactical game, your your mind is very quick at being able to create those random encounters in a tactical sense, but you don't think about it in a, for lack of a better term, tactical social sense. Um, right. Because right. it still has all the components in many ways and and still outcomes. I mean, it's not an exact representation, but our brains, like, they, they don't lay out those things. Like, a skill check is a skill check, a fight is a fight, a social encounter is a 
role-playing thing with some things that can modify it. I mean, that's it's it's very odd, and so I don't I don't fault you in any way coming from literally, and I'll say it, hundreds of hours of D and D over to a social setting game where there's a lot more narrative and social involved in it, and not fully thinking that out, you know, and and having all your cards ready to go, so you know, right, so to speak. Right. Uh, so I mean, so I still need to get to figure out exactly what I want to do with all that, um, and and how I can best apply it, and how I can best kind of you know improve that side of my game. But uh, all told, uh, things went amazingly. Mm-hmm. Um, your picked. wife, I thought, was going to explode, <laughs> um, because we were exploring her back, her character's backstory, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I posted a couple of pictures of it up on the Discord. Um, I had painted up a group of a rival gang of Khajiit uh, that were trying to hunt down her, uh, her and her best friend. Yeah. And uh, I had uh, put a week's worth of effort into creating a, uh, a little terrain set for a, uh, for a tavern, which I will flat out say looked choice. Um, it, it, a did not look like you, you sped through that in any way. Uh, it didn't feel like uh, that it was any less than perfect. And what's interesting was, and I, I think this is really telling of how you did your model, it's an open floor plan. There's no mm-hmm. walls on the outside, just the wall to the kitchen, um, which I think was a great choice. I think that was a an excellent way of handling it. Um, so really the door could be anywhere, and you can reuse the space technically for another tavern with some minor adjustments if you wanted to make it smaller, section off rooms, do whatever, put fireplaces in weird in other areas. Like you could really work with it and, and use it differently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can even add other things onto it. Um, I mean, walls walls on terrain really just kind of get in the way. Um, I mean, obviously, if there's no more board there, you kind of understand intuitively there's a wall. Uh, and all it does is serve to block players' line of sight of what could be behind that wall. Um, so completely unnecessary on the outer side of the uh, of, of the of the board. Um, right, right. So, uh, I'll post more pictures up there, and it, they'll, you're probably going to see them in a mini Monday. Uh, by, if you follow some social media, um, you'll see it there as well. Um, and I'll also actually see – I know Vicky took some pictures. I'll see if I can get her to um, post them to the Discord or send them to me, and uh, I'll post them up. And Yeah, I've got, uh, a, I've got a few photos myself um, that cool. I think turned out amazing. I mean, honestly, the uh, uh, getting the right angle is key. Uh, mm-hmm, to really mm-hmm. getting the depth of the fight, but uh, when uh, uh, when we're all huddled together and moving in on the uh, on the target, it was or the Khajiit themselves. I think it was really cool to see the layout. And you didn't grid. There was nothing there that uh, uh, that really defined that. We were we were basically going uh, Warhammer 40k style with the you know inch sticks uh, oh. to, to measure it out, and I think that worked out really well. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so. I was a little, little, little um, afraid to move in that direction just because I wasn't sure if everybody was on board with, you know, uh, moving via measuring stick rather than just a, a very convenient grid. But uh, mm-hmm. I think it allowed for a lot more freedom, and it makes a nicer scene when you don't have a grid superimposed on things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all right. Well, I think that's all I've got about my game. Um. I've still got a couple of weeks till mine, and uh, yeah, I and we I, had to reschedule Mouse Guard, so that's coming mm-hmm. up what end of the month? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. 
So yeah, it's it's been a little. It's a weird month. This month and even next month is a little weird because uh, we've got holidays. We've got a lot going on. People are shifting their time schedules. I mean, literally, some of our players who are leaving town now are delayed even because of the hurricane uh, that's oh, going yeah. on. Yeah, so it's. Uh, you know, not not fantastic for everybody these days. But uh, if you're in the Florida area, we're feeling for you. We hope everything literally blows through a lot cleaner than last time. And uh, you guys don't have any problems down there. Because uh, you do not need more this season, definitely. Yeah, here, 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 here. So, yeah, so stay, stay, stay uh, safe, stay warm, stay dry. Uh, but uh, it is the System Spotlight uh, show this month. Uh, it is our, uh, our second, uh, Wednesday of the month. So, uh, this system spotlight in particular, uh, has kind of been a long time coming. We, uh, uh, both Sarah and I, uh, frequent, um, Reddit and other, uh, other areas of the web looking at where people are talking about systems and time and time again, especially when we were doing the Dark Souls, uh, review system review and, and looking up things, the name Merkborg came up. Now I did say that Merkborg. Uh, and the reason is because I've been saying it wrong, saying Morkborg, like it's like some alien thing. Uh, but yeah, apparently yeah, yeah. a lot of people say Morkborg and it's Merkborg. Um, and it is a dark, interesting game system. And even the book is different. And uh, I think telling of what it is in, in, in great ways. Um let me let me roll back a little bit about where it came from. I've got a little bit of information, not a ton actually. It's funny that this thing has been out, has been in development since effectively uh, twenty eighteen, um, and uh, it's Swedish, um, and effectively came together when the designer and I think it's is it uh, Pili uh, Nilsson uh, was waiting in an eight hour queue in the Swedish countryside to juice apples. And came up with this game. He was bored, so he started to draw up the rules. Uh, he then <laughs> collaborated with an artist. Uh, I think that's uh, Jan uh, Noor. And uh, they were intending on making this like a little like magazine or a zine. Uh, and uh, explain kind of the lore and uh, character classes and stuff. And then eventually kickstarted it. And, and it swept the 2020... Any uh, role-playing awards and one top prize product for the year for 2020, oh, wow. which is kind of incredible when you think about something that starts um, out so simple, you know, and yet blows up into this. N now, literally, there are uh, subcultures wrapped around this game, uh, played in different styles. Um, there's huge genres of music that have spun off of this and added to it and then back to the game system itself. Um, it's just unfathomable, honestly. It is like, truly how, how much this game. kicked off. It really, really did. Um, and what's really awesome about it, and I think that it, it's a, an attribute to what it is, the literal core bo rule book, which has been translated multiple times, um, uh -huh. is only 96 digital pages. That includes pages of art. Um, I was shocked. I was shocked because, like, I was I was running real late. Um, uh, I I was I was not feeling well the last couple of days. Um, and so I was. It took me a little bit to get to reading the rule book for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so mm -hmm. I pulled up my tablet last night and was basically just like trying to power through the book. 
And in like a short hour, I had read that thing cover to cover. Well, what's interesting is you say you powered through the book. And I love <laughs> it, it took me a little while to get used to the book straight up because it is not a normal role playing book by any means. No, it doesn't follow it's any layout. of the rules. Yeah, it's it's layout is very unique. Um, the layout actually reminded me a lot of when we read Arc Doom. Agreed, I agree. I um, agree. In that every single page is uh, formatted and designed, and it's almost like you're reading uh, an art book rather than a uh, a book with text in it. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is it is telling of when it and how it's created, and I will straight up say, any game book that opens with the charts that the DM needs immediately is awesome. Like I don't have to go hunting for the chart for names or treasures or traps or weather or um, the, the, the loot tables. All that is literally the first two pages of the book. Yeah. You just flip it open and there's the crap that you need to run to, to run it as a storyteller done. In, in fact, I dare say that, I mean, the, the book itself runs very, very slim altogether. Yeah. Uh, and really, like, doesn't have anything unnecessary in it at all. Yeah. Every page has something important. Yeah. I've actually, I was reading, which was, um, uh, as we get into this more, but I was reading about people who round Robin during the session, the DM position. Oh, I could see it. When someone, see it. When someone dies... They become the storyteller. Oh, funny! And 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 the story continues. And I was like, that is a neat way. But there, because there's a, because like Arc Doom, this game has a finite clock, which is yeah. really kind of cool. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, you know, how much Arc Doom, uh, either you know, influenced this or or was influenced by this, I should say, um, or not. But uh, yeah, it the book definitely feels like Morkborg or Merkborg is. Uh, and that is edgy and dark and odd all yeah, at the same time. I was time. reading the PDF version of this and uh, I nearly cut my fingers a couple times because it was so edgy. Yeah. Um so uh, one of the things that I and, and we could wax a lot about the book itself, but I kind of want to mm -hmm. get into the mechanics, but I want to get one thing that I read, and that was uh, – I saw this quote out there, which was uh, Joseph Norman, who is a lecturer at Brunel University and studies the intersection of metal and weird literature, which is <laughs> arguably odd at the uh, onset. But when you start thinking about how, how much those two really do cross, it's kind of impressive. Um, uh -huh. But uh, he, he was amazed by Merkborg's soundtrack playlist. Which isn't which includes uh, two songs, which which is funny, that talk about uh, um, weapons and monster attacks in them. Um, so, yeah, you can have a seven-hour playlist from the game designed like kind of picked by the the the, the creators, and. Uh -huh. Each of these could be a stage in the game, is what he says. An atmosphere, a location, an item, an action. Um, amongst the catacombs of Nefrenka is an uh, Illifact metal album today. Next month, it could easily become the title of a fan-made Morkborg adventure. Because <laughs> what happens is, is this music inspired people to create modules. Then those modules then inspired musicians to create music, which then inspired more modules. 
Do you see how this is going? This yeah. happened over and over again. And yeah. what's interesting is, uh, and I'll say it later, the resources for this game feel endless. You can always find another adventure to play. Which is yeah, I gotta incredible. say this this one kind of landed on our plates, and I I thought it was a lot more obscure than it was. Um, but uh, when you like go up to YouTube and you type the title of the thing in, and you you can only find like two or three videos that are two or three years old from when it was on Kickstarter or whatever, you know that then you're like, oh yeah, that's obscure. But like I typed in Merkborg, and and like tons of stuff popped up. Heck, even yeah. uh, Black Magic Craft, um, yeah, uh, one of the more famous uh, YouTubers, uh. In at least my circle, because he does a, a lot of like terrain, mm-hmm. um, physical terrain, you know, crafting and stuff like that. Uh, had a thing about Merkborg. Yeah. Um, and in fact, that's how I know how to pronounce it because in that very video, he calls up Emil from Squidmar Miniatures, who is Swedish, to get and the... directly asks him how to pro- <laughs> how do you pronounce this, Emil? Merkborg. <laughs> Merkborg. Yes. Yes, we're not Swedish. We're going to screw it up tons of times, but uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate what it means. And we really hope that this review does it justice because we know the audience that listens to this are a culture onto their own. And I actually think that's really beautiful. And so I, I... uh, I will say I'm I'm smiling as I look at it. So let's dive into some of the mechanics. I knew you got into it. I read through the mechanics because again, ain't that long. Um, well, I want to I want to I want to address something real quick before we start. Sure, um, sure, sure. That is, uh, you know, we we talked a little bit about the book being a work of art. Um, yes. And and culturally speaking, to this like sort of black metal sort of aesthetic and stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's sad to me that our podcast is a is a vocal medium as an audio medium and not a visual one because honestly that's one of the biggest selling features I think of this product. Really, um, before we ever talk about any of the mechanics or anything like that, the look and feel of the book itself is paramount to this. And so I will just do you the favor of saying that Sean and I were were. Um, glancing it over last night when i was trying to trying to read the book and although sean was hopped up on nyquil um <laughs> the only way to look at Merkborg. <laughs> we kind of we kind of agreed before the before the nyquil kicked in and he and he lost consciousness um very quickly uh that like Merkborg is a book that feels like you don't go out and buy it you feels like it is one day hurled through your living room window And then when you look out to see who it was that threw this book through your window, somehow there's a church burning across your street and multiple men in black robes with white and black face paint are like, you know, with their tongues stuck out and and, and there are guitars somehow and they're covered in spikes. Yeah, I I feel all of that. Like uh, there is a lot of great uh dark metal uh out there that that have videos associated with them that feel hard and edgy and and uh you know uh definitely i would say european in flavor uh by art style and culture and this book emanates that almost every page you go to is two color there's only a few that are art and the art that's in it is like renaissance art 
It's it's early early Renaissance art, um, almost medieval in some cases, uh, depicting um, uh, prophecies and uh, and and befallment, which is intriguing. Uh, for me, as I page through this, I was like, as I'm paging through, I'm like, was this the inspiration for Dark Souls? Because it should be. Right. I mean, right. It, it, I, it did cross my mind that uh, Dark, it, it did Dark Souls better than the Dark Souls role playing game did it, you know? Yeah, I, uh, when I, uh, like, the mixed text, um, like you said, is very much like um, Arc Doom, uh, where. Mm-hmm. Even in in a single paragraph, things are going to be thrown off. But then, you you find these sections that are just typed in, where the words are just jost, the letters are just jostled a little bit, like it was typed in haste, on a typewriter, and fit on this page that someone illuminated in a mad manic mad way. But everything is clean; you can read oh, it. Yeah. And and the words that are important are are, are ridiculously bolded. Um, and it's, it's just, it just feels harsh. And then you turn the next page and it's like someone wrote with a a crayon or a, or a chalk on a surface hard and fast, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, but it's everything. It's, it's got all of the pieces that you, that you expect in something that is dark, edgy, angry, sad. All at the same time. Uh, Knox in the box in the live chat is asking: Is it one artist or is it a collection of artists? Um, the, uh, uh, unofficially, I think it's a collection of artists. Mm-hmm. Um, it t- typically is. Um, uh, officially, uh, it was written by a madman and illustrated by Dark Chaos itself. Yes, yes. Um, I actually think the 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 main art design um, was uh, the uh, the original uh, artist. Um, and then they went from there and continued it. Uh, so I, I think know. it was just the two that uh, did it. But yeah, it's it's intended to feel. Yeah, it's uh, art. Both of the graphic and the art design um, were the uh, Johan uh, was the one who did that. Um, and the only thing that they did was uh, was because they had to translate it for English. There were some adjustments, obviously, but the the art and feel carried through. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, and there's some public domain images that they use in it, which is really kind of cool, uh, like the cathedrals and stuff that are are literally black and white in the pages. Um, yep. But it's yep. it's fantastic. It really is. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. Yes, uh, Johan Noor. Yes, that's correct. Uh, all right, let's get into. I guess we'll start with character creation. Yeah. Uh, all right. So first off, classes are optional can just make a generic character um but there are a couple character classes in there that uh, uh that are very unique and i didn't know what to make of them mm-hmm. um so the official classes should you choose to use them are fanged deserter um which is a warrior-ish thing but it gives you like a bite attack like you have fangs uh there's gutterborn scum mm-hmm. which is rogue adjacent yes uh, the Esoteric Hermit, which felt a little like mixed spellcaster-ish. It's kind of a there's – a, there's some bard ability. There's some druid abilities. There's some other abilities kind of mixed in there. But right. it seemed uh, mystical in nature. Uh, there's the Wretched Noble, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is kind of I, I maybe like a roguish bardish sort of thing. Um, there's the heretical priest, which is pretty much the cleric. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the occult herb master, which is like an evil druid. Yes. Uh, and again, all of them very rich in flavor. They've got some kind of unique abilities and such like that um, that you randomly roll for when you create your characters. Character creation is very, very simple. Mm-hmm. It's a five-step process. One, you random, randomize your starting equipment. And this is the the very first page. They say, okay, choose your – it's just like three random items you get. Mm-hmm. Your character is not going to have a full kit of, you know, okay, 50 feet of rope and a backpack and pythons and – or pitons or however you pronounce that. Um, you know, a 10-foot pole, et cetera. No, it's just going to be like you've got a a jar with three human teeth in it, yeah. a rusty short sword, and a burlap sack. And that's it. Yeah. That's your starting equipment. Um, then you randomize your weapon and armor. Uh, I cannot begin to tell you how cool the weapons chart is <laughs> because it is this, like, Renaissance-style um, – picture of like when you see like the sword form books where the there's that body the drawing of the body and it's pierced in multiple ways by multiple different um different weapons mm-hmm. but all the different weapons are labeled and yep. it's like if you roll a 13 it's this weapon right here this is a dagger mm-hmm. it was I really mean, super inventive literally the um, previous page has a weapon on it the whole page is one weapon it's a femur one. It's just femur. a giant one femur, and it, it gives you the damage for it. <laughs> yep. And then there's this whole chart that gives you, like, uh, the like the next 2 through 15 or something like that. And then the next next page is, like, a double-page spread of a crossbow, a flail, and a Zweihander. Mm-hmm. And Zweihander is written in, like, 125-point font across the bottom of the page. It's wild. Um... So if you get your equipment, your weapons, your armor, um, mm-hmm. roll your abilities. There are only four abilities, and usually you're rolling 3d6 um, dice to figure out what your abilities are. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're using the classes, some of them will have a plus or a minus of a few, or they'll ask you to roll 4d6 and drop the lowest. Um, but typically, you're going to boil down to about 3d6 plus or minus a little bit. Uh no. Worth noting, those aren't your ability scores. Those just translate into a minus three to plus three on a chart mm-hmm. with the space of nine to 12 being a zero modifier. It's average. And I love this mm-hmm. because I've been asking since third edition why Dungeons and Dragons hasn't done this exact same thing. Yeah, like we we don't need numbers anymore. You never use the ability scores. You only ever yeah. use the modifiers. Mm-hmm. And so Merkborg does the exact same thing where it's just like, yeah, roll your roll your dice, but you're only going to use it to get your modifier. Yeah. Um, and then you roll your hit points. You're not getting a lot of them. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Uh, it's your toughness attribute plus D8 to a minimum of one. And, and again, the whole discussion of this topic is literally a single-page piece of art with a giant heart on it. And I don't mean mm-hmm. an artist rendering of a heart. I mean, it looks like a freaking picture of a heart. 
Yeah, like anatomical. Yeah, yeah, with just the word toughness in mm-hmm. bold on it and two places where the text is. That's it. Simple as that. And then step five, and I quote directly, name your character if you wish. It will not save you. God, does that... And what's funny is that first <laughs> page of the book, the first table that you come to is a table of names. Mm-hmm. To remind you that you're going to need more than one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bring 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 a backup character to this game because egads. So, uh, and, and then now, there's a bunch of... Yeah, you've there's got, a bunch um, of options, yeah. Yeah, you guys, you've got some, some options here. Um... Every class um, comes with omens, and omens are a little bit like a like a Benny or Fate Point or uh, Edge sort of currency. Um, you can spend your omens to uh, deal max damage on an attack, re-roll a roll, yours or someone else's, uh, lower the damage dealt to you by a d6, neutralize a crit or a fumble, or lower the difficulty rating of a test by minus four. Um, you typically only get d2 of these mm-hmm. so you mainly have one you may get as many as two and i think one of the classes gets as many as a d4 i think it's like the heretical priest or something i think it's a d4 or something like that yeah but magic is far from kind no no it's 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 really not it's really not but we will we will definitely get to magic when we get to the mechanics section yeah advancement is a whole nother thing that th- mm-hmm. is the idea of getting better and it's whenever the storyteller feels like that you should advance, which is sometimes which it feels like a milestone or or a proper rest or some kind of level of achievement. Your hit points, you roll six d ten, and if it's greater than your current max, you get a d six worth of hit points. Yeah, otherwise it, it you don't. It feels a little convoluted to do it that way, but um. It it kind of gives you the option to like it's it's weird that when you get an advancement you don't you're not guaranteed yeah uh, hit points when you level up you know well and that's the thing is it's greater than your current max yeah yeah so, so even if you have less than six hit points um you're guaranteed to get to get an increase well, that's mm-hmm. kind of nice um along with your advancement you get to scavenge. Um, it's just, uh, basically free items. Um, and you're going to roll on a small chart. Some of it's nothing. Sometimes you'll get a little bit of silver. Sometimes you will get an unclean scroll Mm -hmm. and sometimes you'll get a sacred scroll, which is basically like a, uh, harmful magic, beneficial magic sort of thing. Unclean scrolls are typically offensive and sacred scrolls are typically beneficial. That does not mean that they don't have a detriment. Oh, no, 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 no. Either of them, because with all magic, all scrolls, which is magic, there are harmful moments that are right there waiting for you. Lest we forget which game we're playing. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never forget that everything in this game will kill you at some point. Now, here's the funny part um, is very much like uh, how you're like your your hit point advancement is not guaranteed to happen. And you're also not guaranteed to get a scavenging thing. Mm-mm. You're also not guaranteed to get stat increases. Nope. Um, abilities from uh, basically what you'll do is you'll take each one of your four abilities, and there are only four abilities in this game. Um, you will roll um a d six versus each one of those, 
and if it is uh, equal to or greater than the ability, you get to increase it by one to a maximum of plus six. If the result is below your ability, decrease it by one. So you may actually lose stats if your stats are good. Mm-hmm. Now, the good news is if your stats are bad, if they're minus three all the way up to plus one, they're always increased by one unless the D6 result is a one. Yeah. Um, and then it's only reduced by one, but never below minus three. Minus three is as low as it can possibly go. So, yeah, you may level up, get nothing for it, <laughs> not get any new hit points, and lose a couple stats. Yeah. Welcome I've... to Merkborg. Yeah, yeah. Well, well it, I mean, it is amazing to me that how how dark this game is, mm-hmm. in, even in just the character creation and advancement. Like, if you ignore the rest of the game, you just look at this, you're like, okay, this, this is dark. This is a yeah. dark way to look into anything. But at the same time, like, Life stinks. Getting a helmet is not going to save you. No. Yeah. Uh, the person... Mm, excuse me. I'm sorry. I yawned there. Yeah. Um, person uh, person selling you the helmet probably is trying to kill you anyway, so... Selling you? No, you're going to have to take it from his dead body. Right. <laughs> like, that. that's that's the, the crazy part about this system, is is that it's it's very much like, you know, when, when you're creating a character in this, they are not expecting you to be a bunch of heroic, friendly people who are out doing good like the world itself is not good it is in a bad place and it it's producing people who are surviving at less that like after survival had already happened for a period of time oh yeah yeah get that real walking dead vibe like the um, Merkborg does definitely feel like it is the stage before you get to dark souls because Dark Souls feels slightly hopeful uh, in comparison. It uh, depends. <laughs> well, I, and that's what I'm saying. It really depends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we get into mechanics. Uh, and it's a very, very rules light system, honestly. Um, like I said, there's only four abilities in the game. And that is strength, agility, presence, and toughness. Strength is pretty self-explanatory. Agility is pretty self-explanatory. Presence is kind of like your mental stat. It kind of covers uh, an int, wisdom, and charisma all at the same time. And then toughness is, again, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Um, your abilities will only ever go from minus three all the way up to plus six. And during character creation, they'll only ever get to plus three. You can only get to that plus six through advancements. Yeah, I don't even think um, the classes don't even can't even bump you higher than that, I don't think. Right, right. And then uh, your uh, all task resolution in the game is just whatever appropriate ability plus a d twenty, um, yeah, plus a d twenty versus a difficulty rating. Mm-hmm. So if you're a you know minus one to strength, you roll a d twenty, you subtract one from it for strength checks, and that the outcome is what you're trying to match. Mm-hmm. Um, difficulty ratings uh, range from six to 18 six being super super easy 18 being impossible and 12 being your average worth noting how that math works out Mm -hmm. with an average stat of plus zero versus an average difficulty rating of 12 you will fail 55 percent of the time yep talk about darkness yeah lest we forget what game we're playing yeah yeah exactly (laughs) 
So let's just step into combat. I I mean violence. Because it violence. literally says violence in the book. It's reminding you again where you are. <laughs> it's, it's not the combat chapter. It's the violence chapter. And it's, it is very, three very pages simple. pages of it. Yeah, it is, it is simple. Three pages. That's it, right? And honestly, I, I was amazed. Like, huh? I had heard people talk about uh, about this and I did not expect it to be this. Like I now, when you heard cl- people talk about, it, did you hear good things or did you hear bad things? What well, sort of uh, was sort of what's interesting what was, was the uh, the notes that I was reading about it, uh, at least in review sense, was people were comparing it to Dungeon World and Dungeon World's combat compared to this. I can see where they're getting some of those ideas, but it is not the same. I think they compare it to Dungeon World because I think in Dungeon World you also roll all of the the player rolls all of the dice. Yeah, and that's kind of I'm not gonna say that's where the where the feelings begin and end, but mm-hmm. yeah, like if you need to play a dank version of Dungeon World that's more edgy, just, here you go, enjoy this system. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So initiative is just a roll off basically between the sides not even the characters the sides to see who goes first well it's not even a roll off in in that 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 implies that there are two rolls that take place it's just a d6 hits the table and if it's high pcs go first if it's low enemies go first and that's what i'm saying is is that it's yeah. it's always the pcs rolling mhm that's that's the key like that's that's the part that we were just saying is so it's uh, I mean, if you you then have order, but even I've uh, when I was uh, listening to someone discuss it, like the whole idea of using D6 and agility to determine the individual order doesn't happen. Like in most games are like, you know, you know, whether or not the person goes first is is a matter of, of like, dude, get in there. Yeah, like it's role yeah, yeah. played at that point, which I think is way better. I think that's that's true. You know, sure. Uh, and then all your mechanics, uh, like I said, well, the PCs are doing all the rolling here. So if you're going to make a melee sort of attack, it's a strength check. Difficulty rating 12. Mm-hmm. You're going to do some sort of a ranged attack. It is a presence check. Difficulty rating 12. Um, if someone is attacking you, you will need to make a defense check, which is an agility check. Difficulty rating 12. And if it uh, somewhere in here you're going to try to use one of your powers, which are the you know magic spells... Um, given to you by those scrolls that we mentioned earlier, uh, that is a presence check, difficulty rating 12. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's all the combat mechanics y'all need to know. Yeah. Um, so uh, armor is going to reduce the damage by a certain die type. Uh, so like lighter armor will only reduce it by like a D2. I think you're like your heavier armor goes up to as much as a D6. Mm-hmm. Um, but your heavier armor is also going to increase your difficulty for agility checks. Uh, so it makes it um, easier to be hit, but you may withstand hits more uh, effectively. Right, right, right. Uh, the game does acknowledge both crits and fumbles on 20s and 1s, respectively. Uh, you can crit both an attack and a defense. Um, it, or, or attack and or you can crit and fumble both attack and defense. If you fumble a defense, that's essentially how your enemy crits you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you like crit a defense, you get a free attack. Like they they fumbled and therefore created an opening for you to get a free attack. Now and then the 
I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I was literally just going to say, there is not many states between up and dead. There is literally, you are standing, or otherwise you are broken. You roll a d4 on the uh, on a chart, and you could be unconscious, you could be dead, you might be bleeding out, or you're dead. That's it. Like, you lost your hit, you, you lost your toughness, that's it. Two choices. Well. And it is a narrow margin there because to become broken, you have to fall to exactly zero. Right. So if you fall to negative one hit points, it just kills you outright. Yep. Yep. And there's a lot of things that can do that. Speaking uh-huh. of which, let's talk about some powers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. The powers are kind of cool, actually. I, I like I like how the system handles magic in a very like, uh, rules-light way um, that's very fitting with the setting and such like that. So as I mentioned earlier, there's two types of scrolls. Now, you must have a scroll for your powers. This is how you get them. Um, so think of it a bit like a wizard spell book, but less fancy, more bespoke. Um, you have unclean scrolls, which are mostly offensive, attack, harmful sort of magics. And then you've got sacred scrolls, which are mostly defensive, supportive, beneficial effects. Mm-hmm. Um at the beginning of any day, you roll presence and add a D4, or sorry, no, it's D4 plus your presence um, at the beginning of a day to figure out how many total uses you get. Right. So if you have a presence of like minus one, you may not actually, and you roll a one on that, D, on that uh, D4, you might actually just end up with no casts that day. Which is crazy. Which I mean, is crazy. But again, if you have a high presence and you roll a D4, you might have up to like seven or eight, you know? Um, either way, you're not going to be slinging spells around like you do in D&D. No, um, but they are very dangerous. They're extraordinarily dangerous because all of the numbers in this game are so low. And so when something says it does like a D- D4 or D6 or D10 damage, it's like devastating, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you want to cast one, it's like I said earlier, it's a presence check. Difficulty class 12. Um, if you roll a success, your power works as intended. Congratulations. If you fail, and that's that's not even critical fail. Like, we're not even talking about rolling a 1 here. We're talking about rolling an 11. Mm-hmm. If you fail, you lose 2 hit points and you're dizzy for the next hour. And while you're dizzy, and I don't know what this is supposed to mean, but and I quote, powers will always fail in the worst possible way. And and they are bad. They are really, really bad failures. There's a whole chart in there of uh, arcane catastrophes. Yeah. On page forty-four, and uh, it's it's interesting the way that, that that table is formatted because it's there's two color texts in that table. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. My cat was just about to crawl across my keyboard. Um, and, uh, the black text is essentially what you read to the players. That's what they're going to know. The magenta text that goes along with it is stuff that the player isn't going to know. Mm-hmm. And so it will be, one of them is literally, you're fine. It's fine. That's what you read to the player. What they don't know is essentially they've got a, like, fatal STD that will be passed on to anyone they're intimate with that will like slowly kill them and raise them as zombies that will come back and hunt them down. Yeah. 
is just one of the bad things that can happen. And and I will say this. One of them, like, I don't know, is, isn't the worst. And that is, you and a random nearby creature pass out. That's what you tell the player. When you wake up, your souls have switched. Welcome to your new flesh. Yep. <laughs> just body swaps you. Doesn't say how long it lasts. Doesn't say how you undo it. It just says, welcome to your new flesh, and you move on. That's okay. You probably weren't going to live that long anyways. <laughs> no. No, um, you were not. And again, lest we forget what game we're playing, the names for these things are badass. Lest we okay. forget. There is no lightning bolt spell here. Instead, we get nine violet signs on not the storm. We have no fireball spell. We have palms open the southern gate. Let us not forget that they literally just have death. That's death. it. Death. I figured that that's one actually like it fits. It says does what it says on the tin. Well, not only that, it's all creatures within 30 feet lose a total of 40, 10 hit points. Uh, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. ouch. And now it doesn't say enemy creatures, mind you. No, it says creatures. Creatures. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't know that it even excludes you. Huh? Anyway. I, yeah. Food for, food for thought. Um, and then, like in the the sacred scrolls, you've like there's there's no cure wounds, no sir. We have grace of a dead saint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no raised dead. It is now unmet fate. And just it's just brilliant. I just love how those feel. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, all of them are song lyrics or 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 album titles waiting to happen, and probably already yes. have happened. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about running a game. So I would I would love to go into the details of this dying world that they paint for you um, in the opening of the book. Because besides, once you get past the initial charge, the whole first section of the book does not do what any normal book does. It doesn't talk to you about the creators. It doesn't talk to you about that this is a role-playing game. It doesn't talk to you about the things you're going to need. No, it goes directly into the lore because it was written by someone who is involved. Like, in a role-playing sense. You're literally reading the tome that is this world and what needs to be known within that. So... It puts you right where you need to be in in this crazed world where a two-headed serpent is in control of the faith and speaking, you know, uh, and spoke uh, words of prophecy, but then was forgotten and, and, and wasn't uncovered until much later when followers rebirthed these things and found that each one of these prophecies were the truth that had unfolded. So now they read the prophecies even tighter, knowing what is to come. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the singular point of this game. So that when you start a campaign, you roll somewhere between a D100 and a D2 to dictate how long you want the game to run. So much like uh, other games that have a doom clock associated with them, you're setting the timer. So each dawn, uh, if this world actually had a sun, um, 
the storyteller rolls the uh, rolls upon the decided die, whatever it may be. If the roll, uh, if it is a one, that is rolled, they will then roll a two d six, and and affect a misery. Will be needs to be read, which is one of the psalms in the book. So there's thirty six miseries that that you could find, within this set, okay. Um, and the whole point of this is, is you're reading one of these miseries every time. After seven miseries, that's it. The final seal is broken. The seventh mystery is always seven seven, and it is the se- the seventh misery will always be seven seven, and the world dies because the seventh seal is broken for the seventh and final time. And at that point, the book literally says, the game and your lives end here. Burn the book. And that's on page 16. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I Having this thrown through a window at you makes sense. Yeah. I mean, in the just First off, I have a couple couple things to add to that. Like the miseries are prophecy, okay, yeah. uh, and they're written a bit cryptically, so it leaves it very much up to the GM to uh, interpret how you want to make that misery a reality. Think plagues from the Bible, though. Yeah, I, I think that's you know? that's a, a um, proper way of looking at it. I was watching a bit of a let's play and one of the miseries um, turned all of the water to tar. And so in one room of this, of this dungeon they were going through, it described that there was a river that went through there. Mm -hmm. Well, now it was this inky black tar that just sludged its way across the floor instead. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and, and so these things go in and you, so you get these like, biblical plagues visited upon the world and then when you get to your seventh one like you said the world finally dies yeah the it, game and your lives end here and and the page for these is written like it was pulled right out of a biblical book yeah like yep. psalm 2 line 3 and from the spear a frost born from uh bergen crypt and covering all that's it that's what happens. You roll okay. you, you roll two, three on those dice. One dice, two. One die, three. That That's what you read. That's what happens. The storyteller says that a frost is born that day and covers everything. So now the world's cold and frozen. Mm-hmm. The next day um, that changes something, maybe it's five, four. In one night, all of those not yet... For seven years and seven days shall pass, born and unborn, and dawn shall give them life as eaters of men. Oh, delightful. Yeah. So, you know, now everybody is literally crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The world's filled with crazy cannibals. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're all like this. They're all crazy like this. Uh, all right. So we talk a little about resources. Um you've like again i said i i didn't i didn't find it difficult to find resources for this game at all at least just looking on youtube which is really the only place i looked um there's a lot of stuff that's up there uh you mentioned they've got a pretty robust discord there's music playlists yeah 
So uh, the big one that I saw was almost every single musical playback system, whether it's um, Spotify, uh, YouTube Music, or uh, um, or even uh, iTunes, has playlists for Merc Bork. Tons of them. The original, uh, people's ambient music, uh, albums. So you, un, unlike looking for music that sounds like something for D&D, you, you don't have to do that for this game. It's there. Yeah, just put it on the Doom Eternal soundtrack. I mean, you could do that, definitely. Or you could literally just say, I need Merkborg music, okay? I'm going to grab this 17-hour playlist. Yeah. You know, and, and what's funny is I was looking through the main playlist, the one that's recommended... And most of the songs are over seven minutes. Mm -hmm. Some of them are an hour. In Norwegian black metal, don't do anything small, man. No, no, no. And a lot of it is ambient. A lot of it, a lot of it is this um, synth that is, is generated by odd tones and movements that is then incorporated into this dark metal. Yeah. Uh, So, It's fantastic. It definitely locks you into the feel. Like, uh, I, I guess there's, uh, like, as much as I would love Merkborg to be what it is, but a lot, one of the things that I saw someone say was uh, making Merkborg into an H.R. Geiger sci-fi would be insane, but I would know what it would sound like. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's that's crazy to think of, but I can feel that. I can see where that feeling comes from, that that uh, maddening moment where you're listening to something and you can you're you're pulling images instantaneously. No yeah, matter which yeah, song absolutely. you're hearing, you know what you're listening to. We do it a lot with um, with adventure music, like you can mm-hmm. hear the heroism in it, but you can't necessarily place yourself. This puts you right where you need to be. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. Um, I was reading where they were saying that uh, bard core, the idea of taking uh, some of the older instruments and playing current music with it, um, is kind of a thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that movement comes from a lot of this. The idea that you're you're trying to mimic and move things to this period and create something new. And I think that's that's fantastic. Like yeah, there, there's yeah, just a lot that's it. come out of it. And then if you just go to the Merkborg uh and and or go to Merkborg and search, there is uh for adventures. All he did was say Merkborg Adventures. And one of the first things that came up was this uh Ex Libris RPG tags page, which had a unlimited number of adventures. And I I really tried to get a count and I lost track. Because there were just so many in there yeah click and and go right into because there's not much to this game system wise but the world has depth and obviously you can tweak it but if you stay to that core seven ticks to doom right yep that's pretty cool right yeah yeah absolutely i mean especially if you choose if you do the if you want a campaign game and you use the D100, and the only time the Doom Clock moves is on a 1. How? You're, you're not going to roll that very often. That game is going to go for a very long time with a lot of dead bodies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got a 1, what, one in 100 chance of doing it. You yeah. Know? 
I mean, I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. I've had it happen in my game. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, just the whole feeling of that is kind of, kind of crazy. So, but all right, let's, let's get into closing thoughts. Okay. Okay. Uh, what, what do you feel that Merkborg does well? So you had said to me that it was described as 100% style over 0% substance. But it was meant as a compliment. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I kind of agree. Like, it, it is what the melancholy Dark Souls RPG wanted to be. Yeah. Like, this has all of that dark, brooding, edgy, and, you know, after-end-times feel, or near-end-times feel, right? When when hope is gone and everybody is staring at, um, oh, that's what it was reminding me of, the Necromongers. Yeah, yeah, that, I'll give that, you that. That, that um, the series is uh, Pitch Black, right? Yes. It's all within the uh, Black Series with, Vin, yes, with yes. Vin Diesel. And the Necromongers were a race of spacefaring, basically death worshippers, mm-hmm. on their way to kind of a promised land, sort They were nihilists, Lebowski. Yeah, nihilists. They believe in Nazing. Yeah, except for some other place that they were going to mm-hmm. take the world to. Um, and that concept kind of works within Merkborg because the the psalms that are there are the prophecies of the end time that they already have mm-hmm. and some of them have already come true so they know the rest i mean i'd say some of them any of the psalms that they have read have come true thus far so they're just waiting for the rest of the boxes to tick yeah before yep. the end. Those prophecies, those prophecies have been up to one hundred percent accuracy. Ergo, the rest of them you can pretty much guarantee are going to come to pass. And the seventh, seventh psalm is always the end of the world. Yeah. So guess what, buddies? And that's what I think I really love about this. It's like you know, we, we keep comparing it to the Dark Souls RPG, and mm-hmm. I think you know the, the 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 difference in tone for me is that the Dark Souls RPG said, "Hey." We're going to make a role-playing game that mimics a video game, and that video game is about a dead world. Right. Whereas Morkberg just rolls right into it and just goes, world's ending, boys. Let's play a game. And yeah. you start there, you know. Mm-hmm. For my for, – for, for, for me, I – when I was reading this, I kept hearing Wayne June's voice in my head okay. um, as the narrator slash ancestor for Darkest Dungeon. Ah, that game. Okay, okay. Uh, and like any of these dark prophecies, I could just hear in his voice, you know, just the same person who's like, you know, remind yourself that overconfidence is a slow and insidious killer. That is fantastic. That sort of stuff. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Yeah. I can see that. Um, it is definitely rules light, and it does not play away from that at all. In fact, I think mm-hmm. at times when you think you're going to turn a page to see another rule on something, the answer is no, that was it. It was those two sentences. Have a nice day. Move on. Yeah. You know? Yep. At the same time, that opens the book up to be very artistic. Yes. And you you pour over the book in an odd kind of gleeful way 
searching and yet not searching for what you're looking for in the book. You don't so much read it as you experience it. Yeah, and that's and and I agree. That's why this doing it in a podcast does not do it justice, but it mm -hmm. definitely denotes the tone of how we're talking about it. Yep, yep. And uh, I mean, before all that, it makes it a very quick read. Um, I'm a very slow reader. I went through the entire book in one evening, uh, yeah. so it's very easy to to pick up and to absorb all the salient information, and that you can't absorb. It's not a it's not a very dense book, so it's not difficult to find it if you need to look up a chart or something like that. See, and and I will say that's where I start my reading on what it doesn't do well. Okay, um, I feel that the rules are so light that you could glance over things, and I did. Like it was, it was, it was one of those things where you literally have to read the book. You have to go cover to cover to be able to, rem to 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 absorb the whole thing and at the same time know what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think in that sense you unlike D&D &D or something like that where like hey you have a bunch of people all over to play it here's the book you'll need this. No. That that doesn't help the players. You'd be better off handing them just the pages they needed from it if that was even a thing. Not that you're there not that session 0 won't be the beginning and end of character creation. <laughs> hand him a, hand him an index card with the salient rules on it and that's it you know yeah and and it's it's not that the rules aren't it's not that i don't like the rules light it's that mm -hmm. in the rules light you're expecting more at times and that is your downfall that the book doesn't explicitly say it but i think if you do go cover to cover on it you will recognize that there is nothing hidden in this book there are no yeah. mysteries. There's nothing you're going to find 26 pages later and go, ah, that's what they meant. That does oh, not. Oh, that, that is, rule cross-references this other rule. Yeah, I didn't happen. see that there. Yeah. That is not happening in this book. Yep. Um, and where things aren't defined, they're they're not defined specifically so that the storyteller can do something creative with them. Which I think is the other piece. There is no GM section. There is yeah. no storyteller. Now, I will say, it, you know, there is no GM section. There is no cla neoclassical GM section, meaning there isn't a, this is how you run the game, this is the points. No, no, no. It is kind of just buried in there on how the the time and things move through. So you do have to look for that. There's nothing that's going to give you explicit, like, here's how you run the game, here's how the days pass, here's how monsters come out. I will say... There is a section that is an adventure, kind of in the end of it, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that that I'm not going to say lays it out for you, uh, but after reading the book, it does. It gives you what you need. Um, yeah, sure. But there is it's, it's easy enough after getting to that point in the book to understand how you would apply the principles in the book to run that adventure. Right, but if you're just skimming this book, you will be confused. You will look mm -hmm. at it and be like, "This isn't a normal D, you know, a, nor a normal game system." I'm, I'm uncomfortable. And honestly, if you skim through this book, you should be uncomfortable. It is meant to make you uncomfortable from a standard yeah. from a standard game system in any way. Um, Agreed. And I, I think that's the that kind of ties into my the, the last real point here is that the game is meant to be played uncomfortably. 
it is not meant to be played in a heroic sense necessarily. It mm-hmm. is meant that this world is filled with scum and villainy and terrible things and obviously getting worse every turn. The idea of like the idea of lines and veils can still be applied within this and I I sincerely hope that people are very careful about that, but at the same time that's hard to do in a game where the random role for what terrible thing's going to happen to the world is a set listing of of events that everyone can read cuz everyone knows these things like this yeah, is what yeah. the this is this, this is literally the faith of things so if you're like i don't want to have anyone uh being carnivorous you know and 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 eating other people well that might actually kind of be said to be an intrinsic part of the game but at the same time you you could remove that yeah but yeah. The, but in that the game is explicit about what it is what is going to happen how it is going to be played out in black and white there yep. are not many fade to black moments yeah um, yeah absolutely that won't already be known by everyone of what just happened i mean a failed spell might literally remove two of your fingers or more mm-hmm. or set you on fire in a way that water cannot put you out. Yep, that, that could just happen. Uh, one of the ones was like your teeth fall out and are replaced with brittle fingernails. It's uh, just, oh, it's like really gross yeah. stuff in there. It but is, like, yeah, I mean, some of it. You, you just know what you're what type of game you're going into you know and and it might be just straight up too dark for some people on the other hand though a you've got a contingent of people who like flirting with darkness because you know the the closer you can hold darkness the less scary it is um and you know you're 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 goth crowd basically um, and I and I get that, and I respect that. It's not something I'm emotionally able to do, but I respect those who can. Yeah. And the second part of your crowd is people who like to laugh in the face of darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, like you can have all these horrible things happening, and it's ridiculous in the same way of like people who love to shotgun Friday the Thirteenth movies and watch people get slashed to ribbons, or even like the Hellraiser because- movies. Yeah, because because it's oh, it's just great fun, mm-hmm. you know. Because it's so over the top, it's so ridiculous that people would be dying in such flagrant and grotesque ways that it goes beyond the uncanny valley. It goes beyond that sort of sense of reality where you identify with it and you're disturbed by it, and all the way into now it's just ridiculous and we're gonna laugh at it. Right, right, and I I've definitely saw that in some of the ways that people have played this that they play it mm-hmm. for the absurd, and yes. they they lean in the absurd while others play it stoically, almost like uh o- almost like a knight's honor kind of a thing where they they yeah. treat they treat the character and the darkness with reverence and a passion for role play because it is narrowed role play it is meant mm-hmm. to to discover and analyze and review those darker shades in a, in a safe environment. And I think that that's telling of where it came from and the, um, I don't, I, there's a word that I don't want to use, unfortunately, because I think it would really, 
it upsets some people to think about it this way, but there's a history of role play in a different sense in Europe. We identify that. You can easily identify that with anyone who who discusses Nordic LARP. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the United States and 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 our methodologies for role play are practically um, unguided and and very very young in the years that we've done it even though we've been gaming for 30 years we we haven't really dived into what is going on when you sit down at a table mm-hmm. and we've avoided that we've avoided talking about that as a a topic of therapy as a topic of and i'm not saying us within this podcast we did um or as a topic of of understanding but as a societal topic we avoid the idea that role-playing might actually be something needed for society for yeah for friendship for companionship for for relationships we treat it with no reverence we treat it with comedy and and or taboo and this kind of speaks to the fact that these people have have developed and given a dark world to play in and to a, a specific defined trope that's easily easy to identify, but at the same time gives you an uncomfortable sense so that you can explore that and explore what goes on with that and step away from it when you're done. Your character's over. The world is done. Burn the book. Move on. That was an experience. No different yeah. than eating spicy food and regretting it the next day. You've learned something. You've grown as a person. Right? And that's... Mm-hmm. That's the thing that that this book does well, but also kind of exposes about role playing here. Mm-hmm. That we can't do that. We still treat it like we're just a bunch of kids playing make believe and hurting each other's feelings. So, and I'm stepping down from my spell soapbox. So, alrighty. Well, you want to get into some questions? Yes, yes. I think get some of them we have a completely different soapbox. Totally different soapbox now. So, all right. So Nevim, uh, Nevim asks, uh, rules-wise, how does it stand against other OSR games, um, so old-school Renaissance games? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it more accessible? Is it clearer? Is it more innovative? I would say that in many ways it's clearer, um, but different. I think it, uh, from the ones that I've looked at um, just recently, because I did want to explore a few others kind of to get a feeling for where this sits in the, the field. Um, mm-hmm. Many of them are very simplified. Many of them have ridiculous, like, and I say simplified meaning that it's just mechanics. Here, we're not we're not here to talk about the world. We're here to talk about the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you know what world you're playing in. Um, you know whether you're dueling, and that's you're all just duelists. That that's the world. Great, like that's that's the focus of this game. You know. Um, or other ones that are much closer to classic uh, dungeon crawls. Um, those those are, again, um, simplified rules to focus you in on what you're doing, on the, the mechanics of what you're doing, and allow you to, to explore your characters in a totally different way. Uh, and I think this does... I think I don't necessarily feel that it's more accessible... Because of how it's written, but I know that there are there are other guides outside of the main core book 
that kind of explore and express the mechanics and how it's meant to be played better uh, than the core rulebook. But the core rulebook is necessary to get the feeling. So I think it's innovative. I really do think it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll back your play on that one. Um, I, I don't. I don't really feel qualified to answer this question um, simply because I I don't like OSR games in a lot of ways. Um, I I see the niche that they that they uh, fill, and by all means, I'm not disparaging anybody who does like OSR games. Like it's least. a it's it's a flavor thing, you know. It's just not just not my flavor. Um, so I I find it difficult to answer authoritatively, you know how it ranks up against other OSR games because all OSR games kind of have a bad, you know, they hit my palate badly. That's good. Um, but uh, I would say, I mean, just, just from a service thing, like I found it very accessible from a rule standpoint, but I also thought that um, because of the very niche subject matter of its ultra grim, dark setting um, and sometimes very grotesque outcomes for things, um, that that may that may also put a lot of people off. So whereas it, it's it's easy to get into just from a rule standpoint, I think you're still going to get a niche crowd out of it. That's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, all right. Next question: Are there any good advices for the GM? No. There's no GM section. No. <laughs> Period. I, the- burn burn the book. Throw a knife at this pa- at, at, at the at the, the this table. Yeah, I would I would say that the the best advice that I can give you um about running this game is read it cover to cover and understand that your role here is atmosphere. Is yeah. is atmospheric guidance. Everything and else is go ahead. Don't think too hard about like, oh, do is I did is is it bad that I TPK'd the party? Not no, always. that's pretty much supposed to be, supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. People should pretty much come to this game with with a few backup characters. It's uh, it's almost as brutal as like paranoia, you yeah. know. Um, I will say this: do not use this as your baseline for understanding how to run other games. Agreed. Agreed. You you will you will not <laughs> sit at many tables here. Merkborg is its own creature. Yes, and yes. and understand that. Yep. Uh, well, what elements did you like and dislike about the game? I think we already kind of covered that pretty uh, pretty heavily. So yeah, yeah. So, um, so Tim Saucer asks, uh, do you think Merkborg is a game that could be picked up and played by a bunch of people new to the tabletop RP- due to tabletop RPGs, or do you think its approach has an expectation of some level of experience with other games? I think those are really two questions that have to be answered separately, um, because my first feeling on this is that it could be easily picked up and played, but I think it requires you to understand what you're doing because mm-hmm. there are no explicits about how to play it. Um, there's no comparison. There's no examples. Um, you're not going to find, you know, this is how combat goes. You know, Tim does this and then defends this. And, you know, that that's not in this game. You're not going to find that. Mm-hmm. Um, nor are you going to find, like we said, a DM section that's going to help you understand how to run it better. Um, but that being said, if you're generally new, meaning you've played some games and understand the concept behind this is a system and I'm role playing on top of it something, um, 
Yeah, I think it's exceptionally accessible because and, and available to new people because you can just play. But I've seen more people with play paralysis because they don't know what they can do. They don't know yeah. how to fit into the game. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, I mean, I remember, you know, hearing even like the cast of Critical Role mm-hmm. um, who are now essentially professional D&D players yeah. um, talking about their first game or games, as it were, when it was just the home game uh, run out of Matt's apartment. And uh, I remember Travis Willingham, of all people, going like, you know, I, I it blew my mind when I realized when I when I made that leap of what you can do in a in a in a D and D game is literally anything, mm-hmm. you know, because I was I was very you know uh, constrained to that whole like oh what can I do what can I do what can I do mm-hmm. what's what's on the list of available options that I can choose off of. And I think, you know, Liam did something crazy or something like that. And he was like, wait, you can do that? Mm-hmm. And Liam just looked over and we're like, yeah, man, you can do anything. And he's like, oh, my God, mind blown, you know? Yeah. Well, anything um, the master lets you do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you can you can try anything at least. You know, there's there's no, like, list of things that is like you can only do X, Y, or Z. Right. Uh, I... I See for this for this question, I I think I'm actually my my answer is going to be that I would not recommend this as a as a game for new players. Um, and I'm going to say that for two reasons. Uh, first off, there is no storyteller section in this book, and so uh, as we've discussed earlier, there's nothing you're really going to glean from this book about how to run a game. No. Um, it it kind of arguably tells you how it, you should run Merkborg kind of it at least gives you the aesthetic and the direction and kind of pushes you but it doesn't tell you explicitly how um right. yeah I, I i was gonna say it it does not direct you in any way it 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 does give you an aesthetic and a feel and a, and a general push but the other thing that i would add though is that um you know it, we talked a little bit earlier about the, you know the just the the inherent darkness and and uh uh, horrific nature of a lot of the stuff that's in this book and for newer players that may be very off-putting especially if not handled or presented correctly um i can imagine we we've got a number of friends that don't role play uh and that is because they've had bad experiences at a table and refuse to sit back down at one and uh, I, I can imagine that just dropping sensitive material like this that is very uh, brutal, very graphic, um, and can get very dark uh, in nature yeah. into the hands of someone who doesn't know how to pr- present it uh, uh, correctly with the you know care and understanding and safety of everybody at the table in mind and stuff like that. Um, I can imagine games of this in new and unexperienced storytellers going sideways very quickly. Yeah, because I, I think especially, again, I'm kind of speaking to here in the U.S., um, I think that the that when you're, when you're sitting down at a table with random people, people who are not connected to you, who have not experienced, you, you have no level of experience with, you today playing something other than Merkborg, uh, Merkborg 
um, you have an idea of what that's going to look like and what's going to feel like, and expressing that to the players and letting them know is one thing. It's another thing to explicitly hand them graphic art and text and say, this is the world, you know, is this what you want to play in? Because I think a lot of them would very quickly look at this and say, no, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't want to play in this. On the other hand, the people who do, I think you run the second risk, which is trying to understand what type of story you want to tell and then staring at them and saying, are you with me? Or, you know, because the idea of one of your players being a cutthroat who's willing to kill the other characters, another mm -hmm. one being a straight-up thief, another one being... All fit within the theme and feel of the world as it's portrayed. Yeah. And yet, that makes it very challenging to do a story unless everybody's on board for the story and not for yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, I mean, that's what we see on r slash RPG as problems with systems that are clearly heroic, that are mm -hmm. designed in, in a way that you are in a group that works together, and yet these people still want to tell independent dark stories where they're some, something outside of the group, and they don't want to connect with the other players, or or are waiting for them to join their dark crusade, or whatever. You know. And then you combine that with, uh, you know, the horror stories you hear um, about like, uh, you know, oh, this this player got really super triggered because I was like super graphic and described this horrific thing that touched on some real life trauma they had. And I just don't know what their problem was. I told them in session zero it was going to be dark and gritty. That should have covered it. Yeah, exactly. You that, know, <laughs> that should totally cover it. Yeah. So, and just the, the irresponsibility with which those situations are, are handled by a lot of people. So, yeah, and I think that would just be exacerbated in this. So, again, I think the second part of it is yes, it's expecting this to be an experienced group. It's mm -hmm. expecting this to be an experienced group with each other and the storyteller so that you are all on this journey together and understand that the journey begins and ends with this story. And that's it. Like, yep. You you are you are in it and that's it and then it's over. Yep. Hmm. All right. You want to uh, you want to wrap it up here? Well, I want to talk about next week's topic because it's well. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, I'm just saying is that the the discussion on Merkborg. Yeah. I th I think I'm not going to say we belabored it, but I hope we gave it the justice it deserves and yeah, that I think it, so. it that it feels so. Uh, I think so. And uh, I I'm sure we piqued at least a few people's interest. So yeah. Um. So next week, we kind of have a change. Like, we had had an idea for what we were going to be doing next week, and then our marketing person did a little digging and found something, and then we kind of went back and forth, and we have an interview next week. We're, yeah, we're, we're uh, so on. we're going to be talking a little bit about... Uh... Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about, about world building um, and uh, you know creating homebrew worlds for your players like everybody that's kind of the, the big thing everybody wants to do make their own world and such and that leaves a lot of questions of like where do you start what do you where do you stop how much is too much how much is not enough what do you put in there what sort of things do you focus your energy on so that you're efficient about it it's a very overwhelming subject and so we have uh david somerville who created a setting for D D fifth edition called plangea 
Uh, it was successfully kickstarted, successfully published and such like that. And uh, uh, so we are going to have someone who is uh, a professional in the industry uh, on with us and discussing that very topic yeah, and you... kind of taking guys through the steps of not only in, in a generic sense of how to create worlds and such that, but what steps he took specifically for playing Gia and got it out there into the world. Yeah, I was. we were really excited to have a, a pre-chat with him, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and he's very excited to come on and, and have the discussion. We could we could probably sit for a couple hours just going over different things with uh, with David, but uh, we, we hope, won't. I assure you. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we'll we'll try and keep it on topic. We've we've got our questions down, and uh, I think I think that we'll do pretty well to do so. Uh, but I know I'm excited for next week. I think it'll be a lot of fun, and we really hope you guys will enjoy it too. So yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, we get to chat with Dave. Dave is a great guy. So give me about ten seconds here, and I'll I'll kick up the music for you. Alrighty. Uh, well, I want to thank everybody for uh, sticking with us. I know this episode went just a little bit long here, um, and uh, I know we're recording, so we're probably talking over each other a little bit weird. We're not face-to-face today, so again, thank you for your patience, and uh, we really appreciate you. You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We record on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean, who are our name members, uh, as well as our other Patreon members for supporting us every single month. We really, really do appreciate it. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables uh, for give us these great stories to share with you over the years. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you so much. Good night. Good night.